All right, welcome back to Seaweed Brain, a Percy Jackson podcast. If you are listening this far, Jesus, thank you. We've reached the last Olympian. It's been a ride. Let's get into it. All right, I'm thrilled to be here. This is kind of insane. I'm carrying next to me my hardcover copy of The Last Olympian from 2009. And I feel like it was just yesterday that that we started this podcast (laughs) and now we're here. Just incredible. We're not finishing. I don't know why I was like <laughs> being dramatic about that. No, this shit is going to go on for as long as it takes for Disney Plus to, <laughs> to get the show going. Anyway, today, Carter and I are joined once again by Mr. Kyle Stephen Prue. Hi, everybody. How's it going? <laughs> Kyle, my question for you is how is it going? Because, you know, the last time we've yeah. talked, I believe since then, your book came out. Yep. You gained about 100,000 TikTok followers. Yes. You shot a horror film i did um you might have gotten abs yeah please tell us about your journey <laughs> all four of those all four of those things definitely happened um yeah i've had a very i've had a very uh productive couple months uh, <laughs> uh down down here in, in the old florida however the whole time all these things were happening i was really just preparing for my next next guest appearance on the seaweed brain podcast oh, that's what I we know. like to hear you were meditating yeah. on this. You were doing crunches and you were like, oh, Percy Beth. Exactly. I was like, every single time I was like, yeah, I was like, Luke's oh, communist. Uh, on the uh, on the notes, it says TikTok fame selling out. <laughs> You're both dropping. <laughs> Definitely did sell out. My first branded uh, thing, like the first brand that reached out to me was a vape company. Oh, yeah, it's my God. not nicotine. So I'm going to try it. <laughs> oh, my God. I was just about to say we don't endorse nicotine. No, at this podcast. we do not. It's basically like a, an essential oil diffuser, but it's real small and looks like a jewel <laughs> that sounds like something for people who watch kyle per tiktok so. yeah i think i think my ba- my base is really gonna like it well we're i'm like really excited that you're here it honestly i didn't plan it this way but the last time you were here we were talking fatal flaws and right. turns out today we've got a little bit more of that and i'm your most fatally flawed friend so <laughs> I mean, I think you're my friend who's closest to, like, a male protagonist in a book. Oh, so. great. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> um, then, yeah, is there anything that you would like to share from Sea of Monsters till now, from Titan's Curse, from the Battle of the Labyrinth? <laughs> well, so we had talked about this a little bit before uh, we started recording, but in the last episode I was on, I talked about how I got into Percy Jackson because I was in a Percy Jackson pretend game. <laughs> And right. then I had just just listened to your podcast talking about Calypso and all that. And uh, I wanted to just sort of inform you that the way that I left the pretend game uh, as a child, the, the series wrap on Kyle, because I was moving from Michigan to Florida, <laughs> was that my character uh, stayed on Calypso's Island. And so uh, <laughs> I know it's not probably what you want to hear. Well, do you? So would you? I mean, I'm not going to ask it. I'm not going to ask what I, if you thought <laughs> maybe what was going on there on that uh, island. No way. There's no way. There's no way because in the first couple chapters of this book, the ones we're about to be talking about, very clearly Percy has zero game. Like a hundred percent of her game. That brings us into starting in on the very first chapter of The Last Olympian. Yes. We set the scene with Percy driving his Prius down the beach. On a date. Remember when Priuses were like a really big thing? They were they were fancy and new at one point, and now everyone should have them because if you don't, you will probably kill us all with your noxious fumes. Anyway, um, <laughs> <laughs> he he's dry he's driving, which first of all is new because he's old now, and we need to be reminded that he's almost sixteen because that's an important age marker for him. Driving on what basically appears to be a date with who other than Rachel Elizabeth. Dare. I'm, you know, I, you know, I don't need to say it. You know how I feel we, about we that. We established certain thoughts about this. But he, he <laughs> describes her as looking like, quote, a million golden drachmas. Now, I'm going to... It's a no for me. Kyle, would yeah. you, you know, we, they, the people know how Carter and I feel, but right. we, we might as well ask you about... I, I seem to recall when I put out that Instagram survey, you replied, Rachel Elizabeth Stan. Oh, fuck. So please, care to elaborate? I forgot you could see. Uh, <laughs> here's the thing. Here's the thing. Uh... I am into anybody who gets even a little bit of character <laughs> development. They're literally like, they're like, oh yeah, she like likes art. And like, I was literally like, I was like, oh, she can paint. I was like, oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've been on the podcast. I know what it's all about. Per- Perkabeth is a hundred percent all the way. Stop saying Perkabeth. 
Is what else do people think? Said Perkabath to us recently. <laughs> Perkabath, Percibath is is the way to go. However, you know his name is Percy. His name is not right. Perky. It was it, <laughs> in my brain. I was like, I think it's Percibath, but then I was like, I think they call it Perkabath. I'll say Perkabath, um, but I was wrong. We failed as a podcast. <laughs> Maybe we should say it more. The people deserve to know. Yeah, but I was just like, oh, cool. Like, she can paint. <laughs> I think everybody's got to think for redheads. Um, <laughs> it's back! Oh, my God. Is this going to be a oh running? Do we need to add this question to our outline for every episode Please, in the future? No. We need to, I think what we need to do is, like, we need to ask it until we get at least two no's, like, for my for my personal um, well-being. Like, I don't like it for Percy. I like it for me. <laughs> Moving on from that. So yes. it turns out this is uh, Paul's Prius that Percy's driving because, oh my God, Sally and Paul are married. Paul's his stepdad. Aww. We love that for Sally. Paul is like straight up an English teacher, which I forgot about, but makes a lot of sense. But anyway, they're in the car. So so um, they're, they're sort of talking with the subtext being like, there's been a war going on. The war that we've been expecting has already started and Percy and the other half-bloods have been already fully going on missions. But throughout all of this, Percy has been taking time off to go spend with Rachel. And in the course of this, she has even gone so far as to invite him to um, go vacation in the Caribbean with her mega-rich, evil developer family. (laughs) This is happening, as Percy is very explicit with us to mention, like a week before he turns 16, which is, of course, when he, according to prophecy, will make the decision that will decide whether or not Olympus sticks around or not. So this is big, like, Calypso Part 2, will you come and run Mm -hmm. away with me and avoid all of your responsibilities energy, except for this situation is worse. It is somehow worse than Calypso across several axes. You know, you know what? There's going to be a lot of pieces of dialogue that we may just have to read on this episode, starting with page eight, if you're following along at home. We'd spent a lot of time together this summer. I hadn't exactly planned it that way, but the more serious things got at camp, the more I found myself needing to call up Rachel and get away, just for some breathing room. I needed to remind myself that the mortal world was still out there, away from all the monsters using me as their personal punching bag. Okay, I said, just a normal afternoon and two normal people. She nodded. And so, hypothetically, if these two people liked each other, what would it take to get the stupid guy to kiss the girl, huh? Oh, I felt like one of Apollo's sacred cows. Slow, dumb, and bright red. Um, I can't pretend I hadn't thought about Rachel. She was so much easier to be around than, well, some other girls I knew. I didn't have to work hard or watch what I said or rack my brain trying to figure out what she was thinking. Rachel didn't hide much. She let you know how she felt. I'm not sure what I would have done next, but I was so distracted I didn't notice the huge black form sweeping down from the sky until four hoofs landed on the hood of the Prius with a wump wump crunch. Hey boss, a voice said in my head, nice car. <laughs> how dare you make me do the blackjack voice? That was really good. <laughs> but I'm glad that it's in there. Thank you. Yes. I think I think Kyle could do a better one. <laughs> what would he say? Hey, Bosch. <laughs> As a child, I think I had no reference for that, but I'm so yeah. glad that the people listening to this podcast will have no doubt in their minds about what blackjack, what yeah. lineage he falls into, truly. Yeah, um, Disney, Disney yes. Plus, get at me. Uh, if you need a voiceover artist. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, thank God blackjack came in to save us from this giant burning disaster oh my and and by the burning disaster so you mean rachel elizabeth there no no i i think okay i think that this is it's very important for us to be clear about this rachel's not wrong for doing this rachel is honestly like she's doing what we all should be doing rachel's out there just trying to get herself what she desires and what she requires and good for her <laughs> But Percy is wrong for this. I'm going to kill him. I just... <laughs> He's so wrong for this. Since when is it hard to be around Annabeth? I mean, I kind of understand that perhaps in recent, you know, it's been a 50 weeks, say, 51 weeks since the last book. Um, so it's possible that Annabeth, you know, in her struggling with her relationship with Luke, who is now Kronos, um, has maybe become sort of difficult to be around and maybe has been putting some of that stress on Percy. But honestly, I'm like, I don't really get this vibe of like, <laughs> they didn't get along. Like they were best friends. They knew everything about each other. They kissed in the last book. So I'm sort of like, where is this coming from, Percy? Difficult to be around. That one hurt. That one really, truly hurt me. That mm-hmm. was very much like, why can't you be easy? Like, I think I feel like we tread this ground every time. And we'll continue to, frankly. <laughs> it's important. Um, 
Again, this is a Perkabeth podcast. So, uh, but yeah. Yes. And who is on the Pegasus? But of course, steamingly hot, muscular, absolutely. Yeah, I, six I didn't and a want to say something tall. about him. <laughs> Beckendorf. Beckendorf is like a hot ass dude. Rick takes a lot of time to tell us just how hot ass of a dude Charles yep. Beckendorf is. Because I, I, this guy gets like three and a half sentences of description. The first sentence, I was like, hmm, pretty hot dude. Second sentence, I was like, oh, okay, like a really hot dude. And third and, <laughs> third and a half sentence, I was like, God, okay, I get it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's, he's, we have to set him up because wah wah, he's going to be dead at the end of this chapter. Yeah. Spoiler. Real Reddit. <laughs> um, yes. So Beckendorf basically interrupts them and it's like, it's go time. They've been planning a mission, involves explosives. And Beckendorf's here to pick Percy up to go leave to do that. Beckendorf <laughs> starts this off by saying to Rachel, you know, uh, Percy told me, uh, I mean, he mentioned you. Fuck that. Terrible. I Terrible. This cabal of men enabling each other? <laughs> Terrible. Nope. But, um, as they're leaving, Rachel, Rachel, this is, this is one of the other, like, we saw a little bit of this last book, but this yeah. is, like, sort of the low point in Rachel's, like, theoretical journey for me when she says such lines as, so I guess you guys have to go save the world now. And now get going, half blood. Go kill some <laughs> monsters for me. Not like, this is character voice, as, Carter. As, as, Disney plus. Um, get at Carter for Rachel Elizabeth's <laughs> hair in a wig. Can you imagine? Oh my god, I would, I would, I would die, and I would take everyone down with me. Frankly, in that role. Um, but like, this is the same energy as like I want to say like MJ and Spider Man. For those of you for whom that reference oh, even yeah, makes yeah. sense after the you know like Marvel universe in which there kind of is not MJ, but. Original MJ sounded like this, unlike Zendaya. Also, like, I don't know if this is a... Re- <laughs> I really hear a lot of Vanessa Hudgens' voice in um, High School Musical. In the phrase, now get going half-led, do you remember how she would always end every line that she said to Dak Efron with the direct address of Wildcat? Every time, <laughs> until, like, I felt, like, physically ill in my stomach. This is the exact same energy of that to me. And I just have to say, like... It's not worth it. He's not worth it. We can all rise above this, frankly. Yeah. Rachel's <laughs> about to power up, too, so it's fine. She's about to power up, too. You're right. You're so right. She's about to power up and leave the soul in her past. <laughs> but, um... Percy's like, well, I guess it's go time for this mission. He hops on the Pegasus. They fly into the ocean. Breckendorf is like, I guess you don't want me to mention that little scene to Annabeth. Ah, oh, stop it. Why? That's why he dies. So he can't. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god. We don't like, I don't this. like this at all. So we all agree it's shady. We all think it's shady that he's doing this. Anyway. I do want to briefly mention that we don't want to over-sexualize both singular black man in this book. <laughs> like, I do think that Rick's Even lines... Even Rick does. <laughs> I, really, I do think his lines about his steamy muscles maybe border on that, but just, just mentioning that before we move forward. We're going to breeze through this. Basically, you know, they're on the Princess Andromeda. Their mission is to take it out. They do. It's, mm-hmm. you know, Luke Trap as usual. But Kronos yes. trapped this time. There's a bit of a fight. We realize that, like, Kronos is, is invulnerable. Luke slash Kronos is totally invulnerable. Yes. Percy, like, stabs him and it doesn't work. Yeah. Gasp. And basically, they, they do end up blowing up the Princess Andromeda and Percy gets away in time. But Beckendorf goes down with the ship. Because there's a spy. The yeah. spy tipped them off and they were able to find Beckendorf, catch him. And and so, yeah, he he blows up the ship knowing that he's not able to get away even though Percy does. I think this is one of the best parts of this book, the spy I, uh, I didn't remember who it was, so I Googled it. And I was like, <laughs> I, I was like, yo, no, no, though. Like, that's, <laughs> that no, can't be right. Be. Oh, my God. It's really good. They set it up a lot in this. Back in North, really like, do. looks at a picture of his girlfriend. Like, he just takes it out, a physical photograph, and stares at it before this final mission where he dies. Yeah, that's how we should have known he was going to die. <laughs> if you are in a piece of media and you pull out a photo of someone and you stare at them before you do something dangerous, you're dead. Like, Literally. That's, nobody's ever lived. <laughs> <Yeah>. With that, <laughs> Percy is whooshing himself away through the ocean, you know, conks out as he's whirling away, dreams about the rising titans in the West that are out here ready to challenge the gods. But also, like, Nico is, like, there for, like, a last little coda on the dream. And it's like, Percy... I know you're watching this. Listen to me. Listen to him about what? Dun, dun, dun. When Percy wakes up, you know, after having swam away, he wakes up <laughs> in Poseidon's palace. So this is the first time he's ever been here, which is very exciting. He wakes cool. up with Tyson. The palace is really cool. I, I definitely see like Aquaman, <laughs> the terrible <laughs> CGI from the DC Aquaman movie here. There's literally fully a war happening 
in the entire ocean. Yes. Explosions, green and blue light. Poseidon looks jank. <laughs> we also meet Poseidon's other family, which, in case we need more intense parallels about how Percy is, like, being really shady, here's Poseidon fully being like, you know my wife. <gasps> anyway. Um, oh my god. <laughs> I didn't even think about oh. that. Like, father, like, son. Every chapter... <laughs> In this book, in which someone's like, ah, don't talk about the demigods, it really does, like, hammer home, like, every single one of the Greek gods is, like, a humongous scumbag. <laughs> right. End of thought, but yeah. Poseidon's yeah. wife and, like, other son are just there being like, oh, okay, I guess we'll just leave now so you can have a moment with your other family, question mark, and then they go off to fight the war. Anyway, that's more yeah. funny, I think, than anything and kind of... Gross. But yeah, Poseidon, yeah. they have a quick chat. Poseidon's like, you know, there's a lot going on. Clearly I'm in a war and it's not going so well. But also, like, you should uh, go to camp and hear the yeah. prophecy because they need you and it's time for you to, like, hear about your destiny. Yeah. Also, quick note, Percy's been carrying the sand dollar that his dad gave him a year ago on his yes. necklace the whole time. I don't know about you. I feel like sand dollars are too big to be on a necklace. I thought it was weird. It was, it was the 2000s. Maybe it was a different time for um, I'm, I'm from Florida. She's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a little puka shell necklacey for me. Whatever. Percy definitely wore a puka shell necklace. Yeah, that I is hate his, to say it. That's his vibe. Yeah. yeah. He's a son of the sea god. It's just like how he helps to identify. I'm going to kill you. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, <laughs> Percy jets back off to camp, um, which, uh, but like, um, it's it's really somber because as he arrives on the beach, they're like, oh, where's Beckendorf? And Percy yes. has to tell everyone that, that he died. Which, this is hard. You know, like, we've had some deaths before, but this is one where it's, like, setting the tone. Straight, first chapter in the book that's, like, some, someone dies, and no, it's not a joke. It's not Tyson in the Sea of Monsters swimming away from this giant ship explosion. It's, it's for real. There are consequences. And this brings us to, I think, the next reading that we want to do. Quick paragraph on the bottom of 46. Annabeth ran in right behind him. And I'll admit my heart did a little relay race in my chest when I saw her. It's not that she tried to look good. We'd been doing so many combat missions lately. She hardly brushed her curly blonde hair anymore. And she didn't care what clothes she was wearing. Usually the same old orange camp t-shirt and jeans and once in a while her bronze armor. Her eyes were stormy gray. Most of the time we couldn't get through a conversation without trying to strangle each other. Still, just seeing her made me feel fuzzy in the head. Last summer before Luke had turned into Kronos and everything went sour, there had been a few times when I thought maybe... Well, that we might get past that strangle each other phase. What happened? She grabbed my arm. Is Luke... <laughs> that was not even in the section that I had noted first to read, but that's so perfect. I, I honestly forgot about that. Is Luke dash... Ah, uh, the strangle each other phase. Yeah, I honestly... What, what this points to me is that Luke has... Luke turning into Kronos is really the thing that is stopping Persebeth right now. Like, that is what is in between them. It is the unresolved feelings and the stress about Luke. Yeah, we have a lot of feelings about this passage. I think this is the most directly... Rick, up until this point, has been like, Percy does like Annabeth. And like, yeah. we're on the same page about that. Canon. But at the same time, it's basically redoes an exposition of the relationship between them that we have observed ourselves firsthand over these past four books, which is kind of strange. There's a lot of exposition at the beginning of this book. Yeah. Um, I was going to mention that I thought that once I was reading through again, I felt that the exposition was actually kind of fun. There's always exposition at the start of each book, but this one, it did feel like there was more. And I felt like what mm -hmm. it did was like sort of distance us from the story and allow us to look back at it and be like, oh my God, like a lot has happened, reminding mm -hmm. ourselves we're here in the last book, kind of like sentimentalizing everything and just reminding us that we've been through this whole journey together and, and everything's about to get real now. Like Rick just kind of basically nodding directly at the reader saying like, this is the end. Are you ready? Yep. Are you hype? <laughs> like get These hype. These are all the questions that we need to resolve before this is over. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Also, Selena's distraught. Selena, as you may remember, is head of the Aphrodite cabin and was dating Beckendorf. Clarice is comforting her because also apparently they're friends. Can we mention the thing real quick? Like Clarice comforting yes, Selena. Please, like they have an please. interesting friendship because it's like, it's like bra girl and like hey girl, which is like the, just the female That's dichotomy we've been stuck in in 2020. But also at the same time, like I as a child really Chef. kind of shipped Clarice and Selena together. Ooh. And I just wanted to mention. You're not alone. It's very much out there. Like, it's this there. is not one of those, like, Percy Hera, like, very obscure ships that we had to find out about on the Wikipedia what page. even? You <laughs> texted me about <laughs> this. You? Yeah. Wait, didn't you post this on the story? I really did. I was yeah. confused. The I people responded. were just as confused. <laughs> yeah. But this one's real. This one's, like, an actual, like, there, there was fan art for this on Tumblr at the heyday that some of you may remember if you're, like, a 20-something-year-old 
listener tuning into this. I feel like if Rick had written this book now, they would have dated. Truly, yes. Like they literally would have. They would have gotten together in the This was back in his straight phase. When he had all these straight <laughs> characters. Back in the world, straight phase. Yeah, you remember Truly. the 2000s? <laughs> when we were yeah. all straight. Shout out to um, Prop 8. <laughs> um, uh, anyway. Um, prophecy time, because uh, Poseidon was like, it's time for you to hear the whole prophecy, Percy. And Percy's mm-hmm. like, great, finally. So Percy and Annabeth go up to the attic. There's another cute moment re- repeating. It was at the beginning of Titan's Curse. He picked up the love scarf um, and was like, oh. Annabeth, are you okay? (laughs) And now, so much more tension. But they're kind of like looking and they're like, oh my God, our adventures. Remember the Battle of the Labyrinth? Ha ha ha. Um, We kissed then. Sexual tension. But just like romantic tension. I just, it hurts. It really hurts. Um, There's a quick backstory about the Oracle. She was a real person. The last one in the long line of Oracles, but there Mm -hmm. just hasn't been a replacement. And so she kind of shriveled into a mummy, which is just so scary. Terrifying. (laughs) Terrifying. But also why? We're wondering, and we'll find out. Yeah, ooh, ooh. Uh, turns out the prophecy was written in her necklace the whole time. <laughs> Crazy. I kind of love that. Yep. They go downstairs to council of the heads of the cabins. <laughs> There's some interesting stuff going on here. Clarice is arguing with the Apollo cabin about some chariot thing. On one hand, this kind of seems weird and, like, random. Like, why is Clarice all upset? But on the other hand, given everything that we talked about with the Battle of the Labyrinth, I actually think this is a really interesting character development for Clarice, that she's sort of, like, I'm not participating in all your stupid, like, war missions. I think that she's struggling with her relationship as a child of Ares with war, on the brink of it, questioning what her role is oh, in it. Okay, so wait, but here's here's the thing. This section with Clarice, like, really, really, really pissed me off. Yes. Because I feel like, in, in a certain sense, and, like, hear me out, this is going to take a little bit of a turn, it feels <laughs> very, like, uh, it feels very Trumpy. In the sense where, like, everybody's, like, all together in this war, and it's like, okay, to, like, save everybody's lives, we all have to pull together. And, like, because of her ego, she's, like, not willing to, like, join this, like, unified struggle. And, like, mm-hmm. I, it really, really, like, rubbed me the wrong way. I just think I just think there's so much more important stuff in this chariot. But like everybody's well, yeah. literally yes. so focused on that. It it I don't know what it was, but I was like, it made me like viscerally very upset. Yes. I think it's a weird moment that you kind of have to put your own meaning onto because otherwise mm-hmm. like you have to create some reason why this is happening. Otherwise it doesn't make a lot of sense. The identity struggle reads well to me though. I like that. We've reading. also already made connections between children of Aries and uh conservative Republicans though. So yeah. it's okay. <laughs> Rick did it himself. This is in the notes also, but like this is like I think meant to be like an allusion to Achilles, who as you might remember from our special, very, very extra queer episode, like Achilles <laughs> famously in like the uh Trojan War, like basically sits out for a while because he and another one of like the military leaders are arguing over a spoil. In that case the spoil yeah. is a sex slave woman, yeah. which is obviously we don't, it's bad. We, we don't endorse sex slavery here, but um, like it's, um, it, it's like a way of hearkening back to that in like a subtle way. And also, you know, Achilles is going to be important in this book. Oh, interesting. So, That's also yes. interesting. Okay, cool. I'll take it. So then Percy reads the prophecy to everyone. Kyle, do you want to read it? Would yes. that be fun? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I was hoping. Okay, ready? Here we go. A half-blood of the eldest gods shall reach 16 against all odds. And see the world in endless sleep. The hero's soul, cursed blade, shall reap. A single choice shall end his days. Olympus to preserve or raise. Yeah. Ah! So iconic. Not to be too whatever, but like when we we were typing up the notes, I did write the prophecy from memory. Uh, Yes, that's real. Oh my God, that's dope as hell. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I actually, the, all of the prophecies from the original series and then the, the big one in the next series do live rent-free in my brain. <laughs> Quick aside on this, I just want to point out that, like, they use the male pronoun in the prophecy, a single choice shall end his days, which is really interesting because there is a consistency, there is an inconsistency in that. Oh, yeah. Because we did think at one point that Talia might have been the child of the prophecy. So the only way to square that circle is to understand that perhaps... The person that the pronoun is referring to might not be the half-blood of the eldest gods referred to in the first line of the prophecy, which 
Just something for us all to think about, That's, I think. That is some um, deep digging, that Carter. That is so interesting. I did not notice this the first time I read it because of, I assume, like, indoctrination into um, societal misogyny. But, um, <laughs> yes, the male pronoun is a choice and it is a deliberate one. It's also very easy to make a prophecy gender neutral. <laughs> like, it's all yeah, ambiguous. Really, yeah, I had to double check it because it's like, it could have said, like, a single choice will end their days. And, like, I don't think any of us would have batted an eye. But it sure doesn't say that. Yeah. Anyway. Huh. Percy's like, oh, okay, so I'm going to die. And you waited to tell me until right now. Great. He's and mad. is kind of on a rampage. Annabeth is, like, a little upset about this. Like, you can tell that she's, like, in pain because she also thinks, like, he very probably might die. But she also, like, is, as we find out later, correctly, like, telling us, like, this is upsetting, but also take it a step back. Like, let's let's think about this. You might not die. And they quickly pivot, though, from this because we're, we're not given a moment's rest in this book to the fact that this isn't even the real threat. They're here at the War Council to discuss the quote-unquote real threat that they haven't told Percy about because, according to Chiron, you needed to take a break with your dot, 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 Mortal friends. I hate Chiron. So Chiron, Chiron truly perpetuating toxic masculinity and the hero mythos and the patriarchy here, in my view, is what that line says. This is also <laughs> nuts. I just feel like nobody here has like an understanding of the stakes at play. Like Chiron was like, <laughs> yeah, everything that exists could be destroyed. But we like really, really, really wanted to make sure that you, you know, got to not kiss yeah. Elizabeth there for a few weeks. It's like a real, like, you gotta let boys be boys thing that I just truly cannot forgive. Kyron is dead to me, period. He's not winning it back yet. <laughs> he's we'll also wait like, see. I don't know. I never was, like, super into him. Like, he's never been, like, a super strong character, like, amongst the rest of the canon. Yeah. I was actually really into Kyron as a kid, honestly, and it upsets me when I read back at this and basically at every turn, I'm disappointed. Wait, it's me too, because I think as kids, I placed all of my, like, my, you know, my ego on the validation of my teachers. So I think that, like, meeting, I think that I automatically liked Kyron, but I have much more of a consciousness these days about the white men in charge of my life. The teachers the we horses. stand in this book are horses. Sally and Paul. <laughs> All the horses that are in charge of America's life. You don't know. Yes. Yeah, I don't. <laughs> I don't. So, um, uh, yeah, Percy also responds to this by being like, oh, wait. So I guess they all know that I've been secretly dating Rachel Elizabeth Dare, including Annabeth. How dare That's you say secretly shady. dating? Take it back. Take it back. Don't. I literally will not. I know that. Okay. Oh. Rachel, okay. We've said this about Calypso. We've explored Calypso. Well, I think we're all on the same page. Percy and Rachel clearly have not done anything like they're at a very infantile stage of what might become a relationship at some point because he gets so weird about kissing her yeah but there's a something happening there that he feels bad about and then quote then i felt angry that i felt guilty i was allowed to have friends outside of camp right is that what we're calling them now friends outside of camp but <laughs> that's back. what the kids are calling it these days <laughs> it's like i Billy, I hear you have a couple friends outside of camp. <laughs> a couple? But um, the, the actual thing that we've been getting to that Percy has not been told, unlike everyone else at camp, is that Typhoon's back. Typhoon, the gigantic monster that fully terrorized the gods and almost wiped them out, probably the much bigger existential threat to them. Father of all monsters is back and literally occupying all of the gods right now. Like, they're all out there trying to stop him, but he's still, like, it's, it's failing and he's making his way across the continent. To New York. <gasps> the center of the universe. <laughs> yep. All right. Yep. But, but then they're like, well, nothing we can do about it right now. Time Off for to bed. bed. <laughs> <laughs> Go to your dormitories. Um, <laughs> in the dream of that night. Oh, Percy's in Rachel's room. But instead of Gross. a room, it's an industrial warehouse of the top floor of a brownstone in Brooklyn because Jesus, she's, she's Kyle's rich. fever dream. Yeah, we are wow. <laughs> listening to probably what I imagine to be Vampire Weekend. She's in a kimono. Yep. She <laughs> has a fight with her dad about... And the fight with her dad is about private school. It's about her being like, I'm too much of an artist to go to the most elite, expensive, private boarding school in the country in the Northeast. Oh no, she's my perfect. life is so hard. Also like <laughs> therapy. She's like, I'm not going to therapy. This isn't what this is about. And her dad's like, okay, well, bye. Uh, and she, <laughs> she's been drawing these scenes and Percy's like, she shouldn't know about this, but she's drawing all these things. And there's like this one really big, scary image that she drew of a, like a, basically a, a demigod army standing underneath the Empire State Building. Which hasn't happened. So that's kind of wild. Yeah. 
why did she draw that? Um, but uh, but yeah, wakey, they wake wakey. up. The scene hurts so much. Um, yeah, well, Percy joins Annabeth to do the you know the round robin inspection of the cabins, which we established apparently happens all the time in like a book ago. A yes. Great opportunity for some alone time. This it's this cute. camp has no scene. goddamn understanding of what's important. Like, <laughs> just, it's like they're like we're five days till everything and and anything is destroyed by this giant earthquake fire storm monster. And they're like, but we got to make sure your cabins are clean. Yes. Like, Literally to the point of like, you didn't make your bed. I'm like changing your tour privileges when fully everyone's about of, to die. The list of priorities is fucking bonkers around here. So they're doing this. It's like cute. They're being friendly. Tours together. That's adorable. But um, as they're doing this, like there are a few times where they're like in a cabin together and, and um, Percy, in his mental monologue, is like, you know, this is technically not allowed. And this rule came up a lot when Selena and Beckendorf started dating, which mm-hmm. this is such a funny way banging. for Rick to say in a dating. book for children, they were banging. Selena and Beckendorf were just hottest couple at camp. And also the way of foreshadowing me? this and making it yeah. clear to all of us that this is what Percy thinks when he's alone with Annabeth. Rick also follows this up by basically through Percy being like, I heard from that some of you thought this was gross because they're related. Well, let me tell you it's not gross. And here's why. Because the gods don't have DNA, and therefore cross-cabin dating is okay. You may ask, if the gods don't have DNA, why is it less okay for them to date people who have the same godly parent because they, again, would not be genetically related? That's not a question that he answers for us. He just asserts this, and also asserts a biological essentialism about what constitutes a family and what constitutes, you know, like, incestuous turns around family power dynamics in relationships that are unacceptable that we perhaps don't want to endorse in this podcast, but he does say it. I can't believe he got to book five before he was like, oh, it's not incest, by the way. Like, <laughs> if, if, if I'd written the series, that would have been the first line of book one. <laughs> it's, Truly. it's not incest, by the way. Look, it's not and incest, by the way. And he explanation for it, too. Half-blood. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> What's your major again, Carter? Oh, wait, is this a serious question? Um, chemical, physical, biology, and statistics. Yeah, I'm writing my thesis on genomics, so yeah. Listen to Carter. I'm also Carter in a seminar things. this semester about like race and genomics, and like basically, so every week I'm spending at least two hours in a classroom being like, DNA should not determine things. Y'all need to stop saying that DNA determines social relations, such as race, because it literally does not. And I just want to CC Rick on that message. <laughs> Here, um, BCC but, him, CC him. Yes, maybe even send it directly to him and CC everyone else. But <laughs> oh. anyway, we can move on from this. Um, it's, I think it's time for a little reading so we can establish what the nature of Percy and Annabeth's relationship is looking like at this point. This is on page 72. So this is like as they're like in Athena cabin, Annabeth is like, oh, fuck, I like forgot to clean up my bunk. And everyone else in her cabin is like, okay, we'll just leave you two alone in here. Bye. Wink. And then they all leave. Um... <laughs> And that says, you know, she brushed her hair behind her ear like she does when she's nervous. This whole thing with Beckendorf and Selena, it kind of makes you think about what's important, about losing people who are important. Just so we're all on the same page, she's hitting on him. She hit on him there. She is saying, Percy, don't you think there are some things that are important, like the people you care about? And Percy immediately redirects the conversation and says, um, yeah, like, is everything cool with your family? I hate him. He's my nemesis. Even, He's even I got my nemesis. <laughs> Does anyone notice like how often there's blushing in this book? Like it's like once every like two paragraphs, Rick's like, I blushed, he blushed, she there's a lot of blushing. Maybe it's warranted. However, I just felt like I was like, God. We need another we need another <laughs> response. For me, the line that Rick is always writing is he was about to say something, but then he didn't. Or it yes. looks like Kyber yes. was about to tell me, yes. but then he didn't. Her Literally, s- that is the number one way of foreshadowing in these books. Everything is foreshadowed by someone almost saying something. That's not a criticism. It's a little bit of criticism. Um, we find out after this, by the way, in case you've wondered where he's been, this entire book so far, Grover's missing. Literally, no one knows. That's kind of scary. Care. I, I, I forgot about it. his ass so long ago. We spent the last episode being like, we're, we shouldn't go over too much. Grover's clearly doing some important work, and then immediately went back on that. We found well, out he's been asleep. Goes for... He's been missing for two months. <laughs> two months. Come on, In the dude. wake of this conversation, Percy is like, you know, I had this dream about Rachel, and I just, Annabeth, why don't I just tell you about this after we had this very tense conversation yesterday about how. I'm abandoning my responsibilities as a cat to hang out with this mortal. And Annabeth's response is like, 
why like why are you telling me this what do you what do you want from me literally she says what do you want me to say i don't know that her dreams mean anything but like i do think that your underlying claim is right that chronos is probably going to attack new york now that the gods are distracted so that's basically setting out what the rest of the book is going to be about for us it's it's the next page where shit gets even more tense okay but what if her dream is true those other titans they said olympus would be destroyed in a matter of days they said they had plenty of other challenges and what's with a picture of luke as a kid we'll just have to be ready how? I said, look at our camp. We can't even stop fighting each other. And I'm supposed to get my stupid soul reaped. She threw down her scroll. I knew we shouldn't have shown you the prophecy. Her voice was angry and hurt. All I did was scare you. You run from things when you're scared. I stared at her, completely stunned. Me? Run away? She got right in my face. Yes, you. You're a coward, Percy Jackson. We were nose to nose. Her eyes were red, and I suddenly realized that when she called me a coward, maybe she wasn't talking about the prophecy. If you don't like our chances, she said, maybe you should go on that vacation with Rachel. Annabeth, if you don't like our company, that's not fair. She brushed past me and stormed towards the strawberry fields. She hit the tetherball as she passed and sent it spinning angrily around the pole. Oh, that's some queen shit, hitting that tetherball. Dang. She's also Ooh. like literally, I want to take a moment to just be like, you know, Percy's going through a lot. You know, we want to hold space for a 15 year old who has the entire weight of the world on his shoulders. But also she's correct. Also, she is correct. The weight of the world is on all of their shoulders. I would also like to mention the reading of the tetherball sort of being perhaps a symbol of, of bisexuality here. I would say <laughs> perhaps tetherball. And I would say that her hitting the tetherball on her way out of oh this conversation God. is a reminder to Percy that she doesn't have to be yes. here. English she minor could go, go off. the other way. Because the tetherball, you can hit it either way. Period. <gasps> Period. I was never good at tetherball, but that's a metaphor for another day. (laughs) (laughs) I see. Anyway, it's the Beckendorf funeral. It's very sad. This is a step up from our last funeral where the casualties were very nameless. This time, we did know Beckendorf. That's not good. Very well. War. Ah. Scary. Stakes. Percy decides to go play with Mrs. O'Leary. Oh, she is so important in this book, which I love. We love Um, her. Quick scene that I'm going to skip over, of course, with Juniper, Linnaeus, uh, Nico talking about don't know where Grover is. Grover. Linnaeus uh, is useless, etc., cetera, et cetera. In these notes, <laughs> in the notes I see written here in bolded, Percy really tries to impose horniness upon Nico because he talks to women? Question yes. mark. Percy, as you might notice, the reason why some people were confused about the fact that Nico was gay and definitely is gay when you reread these, in my view, is the fact that Percy is narrating and Percy literally every time Nico talks to a girl is like, oh my god, Nico's blushing. Oh wow, this little boy is so clearly all over women. Knowing that Nico like has a crush on Percy, like via the later books and everything, every single interaction with Nico hits so goddamn different. Literally. And it makes sense. It makes so much more sense. We'll really get to it, but like that whole thing where like Percy had a sword against Nico's neck, I was like, Mm-mm. Oh, eyes <laughs> twelve. Like, oh. That makes me feel. Yeah, <laughs> Nico's here to get Percy to follow his plan to power up. He says, "I'm sorry if I'm being too pushy, but two years ago, my sister gave her life to protect you, and I want you to honor that. Do whatever it takes to stay alive and defeat Kronos." True. Thank you for saying that, Nico. Don't back down. Don't say you're being too pushy. Don't couch the language. Don't do that, baby gay. You got to stand up for yourself. Period. And with, with that, that, quick break. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So we're back. We are shadow traveling now in this book, which is really cool. This is one of those cool powers of Hades that we are starting to come to know. It's basically like apparating, except it makes him really tired. And also it's gay and emo. So love to see it. Yes. Nico and Percy shadow travel with Mrs. O'Leary because she is a hellhound and has special shadow traveling abilities to see Luke's mom in Connecticut. I think it's really, um, well, I guess reading, reading through just for today, like 
finishing this these chapters like 10 minutes before we started recording, it really hit for me how much this like Nico and Percy traveling to May Castellan and then traveling to the underworld is very Harry and Dumbledore traveling, apparating into different locations to get like yes. info on Voldemort, on Tom Riddle's life, and also info on the yes. Horcruxes and like trying to get facts and, and gather all this information about how invulnerable their enemy is. It was just very Period. clear to me that that's exactly what this energy was, which I also thought was kind of gay of Nico to be fulfilling that Dumbledore position in, in this relationship. Yes. Nico is the version that that is acceptable because obviously Dumbledore is like an old adult who is passing out this relation, responsibility to a child. Whereas Nico is like, you know, like he's a 12 year old who's just trying to get some shit done in a gay yep. way. And we admire that for him. Um, yep. So so we we meet May Castella and Luke's mom. And this is another, like in a series of, to me, very frustrating um, ways that the book tries to portray different forms of mental illness. Like May Castella is out of touch with reality. I think we would describe her to be, but you know, like, she's not diagnosed. And also, like, her her condition is, like, very, like, ill-defined. We're just sort of getting that, like, she's crazy, which I d- really just do not do not appreciate on a number of levels. She confuses Percy for Luke in elementary school. She doesn't really understand time and, like, seems to be thinking that it's, like, at different points in her life all throughout the same conversation. And she also, like, her house is full of lemonade pitchers and moldy PB&J sandwiches that she made probably years ago. Oof crumbling burnt chocolate chip cookies and like stuffed animals of monsters all signifying to us that this place is like creepy because she is crazy i'm making air quotes that you can't see because it's a podcast but know that the air quotes are there and that i'm not (laughs) trying to take either of those words at face value here um yes it it did scare me as a kid though unfortunately which i hate reading it back that's the bad part about it it is written to be scary and like most kids should be afraid of this the message should not be like people who have like mental illnesses are like scary and like the subtext of this as we go on is basically Percy being like, oh, wow, like she should not have raised children. Like Luke should not have a mother who is like this and you're like, who has this disability, which is like really like rubbed me the wrong way so much. I was like deeply triggering. Yeah. It's it's also such an interesting parallel to Sally Jackson. Right. Exactly. Yes. You can't help but compare we, them. So we go right from this to Percy going to see Sally Jackson and she also makes lemonade. Like mm-hmm. just sort of like in this. I mean, I guess. Yeah. I, uh, Luke's mom makes like Kool-Aid or whatever but like I think it's like really interesting the way in which like these two like mother characters are like balanced against each other because they can both see through the mist yes Percy and Luke I think are like oftentimes compared yes they're two halves of the same Boils. coin yes especially in the ways in which they relate to Annabeth as well <sighs> Exactly. Thank you for saying that. (laughs) There's like a reading of this that's very much about, um, I guess, like the determinism that comes from social context. That's maybe a reading that we would support about how- Percy grew up to be the hero and Luke grew up to be the villain. Because of how they were raised. But also like, I want to complicate that because like the fact of being raised by someone with a disability does not make you evil and does not like, but uh, anyway- other pieces of information here she can see through the mist she was offered a job but somehow failed at that job luke came back at some point last summer to ask for a blessing before becoming chronos which is confirming yes. something for in nico's plan that we need yes. to get a blessing her eyes suddenly glow green for a second um and she it's like she's having a flashback to asking hermes himself to help poor luke in Luke's yes. future it's written to be sort of like an episode of a mental illness what some people might describe as like a psychotic break that's probably not the DSM term. She's not supposed to be in control of herself at this point. And like, Percy at this point is like, wow, that's really scary. Like, Luke had to deal with this as a child, and that's like very bad. Of course, he like turned out the way that he did, which Yikes. like, uh, there, there's, there's a lot there. As they leave, May turns to Percy, who again she thinks is Luke. This whole time she's been addressing him as Luke and saying, call me mom. She turns to Percy as he's leaving and says, promise you'll be safe. And then he promises, and then they leave, and that's, like, literally the last time we hear about May Castellan. This is yeah. such a tragic character. Like, it's yeah. treated so poorly. Um. Anyway. Anyway, as they're walking back into the woods to meet up with Mrs. O'Leary, we meet a new character. <laughs> it's it's the titular role. The Ladybird gif is back in our notes two weeks in a row. <laughs> it's the titular role. This is the last Olympian. It's Hestia. I'm going to toss a special shout out to my mom who listens to every episode of this podcast. Her original uh, cleaning business, her small business that she started was called Hestia because she cleaned people's houses. Yes. Fun fact. Wow. Love that for her. (laughs) Yeah. 
Anyway. Shout out to her. If the Percy Jackson canon was real, I would assume that your mom was Hestia then. <laughs> that would be such a shitty godly parent. <laughs> My special skill is being a real domestic woman. Literally the whole point of this book is that Hestia is the best Olympian Erica. Sorry, I, my internalized misogyny refuses to allow me to believe that. We'd be like, Erica's really good at starting fires. <laughs> anyway, yeah. So she's serving them food. Nico is already friends with her. The queer excellence that has! Of course he's already friends with her. Literally, this this is... If you needed more excuses to stand Nico, of course Nico is already friends with Hestia. Silent queen of the background, outsider. Perks of being a wallflower. Yes. Period. That one. Responding to the question about um, why she's not fighting, she was like, well, first of all, I don't really do war. Second queen. of all, she's like, somebody has to keep the fires burning while the gods are away. I'm not really guarding the place, but, you know, it's important that somebody maintains home and a sense of home, which, whoa. Period. They, like, basically asked to debrief on May Castellan. Hestia basically just said she saw too much. What did she see? Dun-dun-dun. Something to probably to do with her son and Hermes. She's having a conversation with Percy where Percy's kind of mad and he's like, I would have done things differently, Hermes, so... Such a terrible parent. You know, it's clearly too late for Luca. We need to go off and defeat him. And her take is basically just saying, like, you need to slow down and, like, maybe not think so much about trying to defeat Luke at all costs and trying to overpower him. And she has this excellent line here. Not all powers are spectacular. Sometimes the hardest power to master is the power of yielding. And then she, like, creates a giant fire that, like, almost destroys all of them and then stops it and pulls it back and it's, like, a demonstration to them of the fact that sometimes you don't have to defeat your opponents. Literally yeah. so powerful. I think we've also been harping on this for a while, but it does come, it's like kind of an important message of the series. It might be the point of the series. <laughs> yes, most elegantly given through Hestia. Yeah, given that this is the titular role, the title of this book, um, I think we should heed her words, her advice yeah. very specifically. We're going to remember this. It's going to be important. Also, after, I think as Kyle so eloquently put it in The Sea of Monsters, uh, a bunch of gods that are just swinging their dicks around, like Hestia here proving the fact that she could be blowing things up with her firepower and yet chooses not to every single second is just wonderful. Uh, Thank God. We we love restraint. We love restraint. We love domestic spending to counter military spending. She says Mm -hmm. very important words. Do you want to read this, Kyle? Yeah, sure. Let's do it. I am here because when all is... Oh, fuck. I fucked it up. (laughs) (laughs) I did one job. Okay. All right. Here we go. I am here because when all else fails, when all the other mighty gods have gone off to war, I am all that's left. Home. Hearth. I am the last Olympian. You must remember me when you face your final decision. Oh, my. That is so epic. Wait, I also wanted to... Put a quick aside in here. It has to be like, one of the things that she says about yielding that I just want to give space to is that like the most famous example of Hestia yielding is giving up her spot on the Olympian council to Dionysus, who we kind of don't like and is mostly understood to like be a man. And when she does that, she like basically unbalances the council. So it's like majority male. I, I just wanted to raise this as sort of like a counterbalance to the Sheryl Sandberg lean in version of feminism that like holds that like the epitome of feminism is trying to emulate classically masculine traits as much as possible and never yield and like, you know, beat up the men as much as you can. Yeah. I also want to highlight like the the sort of aspect of like a peaceful transition of power. Mm. Like, that is something that I never, ever understood in my life when people would say that. I was like, why does that matter? Um, and recently, I would oh I want to say when, <laughs> when Barack Obama did that recording of One Last Time for the Hamilton mixtapes where he read George Washington's final address, I had just the greatest breakdown um, and was sobbing and was like, oh, I understand what that means. Um, so just, yeah, shouting out that. <laughs> The power of yielding your power. It's so interesting reading these books now because so much of it hits so different because I feel like this is just like the most like divisive time that like certainly I've lived in. Yeah. Yeah. In a sense, too, like throughout this whole book, there were a lot of moments of like, you know, like, especially when they were at the camp of like this, like hopelessness, you know, like, Mm -hmm. oh, man, everything's so bad and the world's ending. And I was like, ah, shit, that's how I feel. Yes. Yes. I was actually going to mention this earlier or just kind of wrote a personal note about it as I was doing my own reflecting on these chapters that earlier that that meeting of the war council felt so painfully familiar to me. Just like the energy in that room of like the frustration and like, where do I even target this frustration? All of these like kind of iconic elders in their but elder kids in their community with like the one like white guy in charge trying to like fight together against this thing but also like not knowing what to do and just being exhausted i was like dang i've been in these meetings 
every day recently. Yeah. And like, I get this and I feel for you guys. And like, it's, but, like, we have to yeah. keep going. Yeah. The way that that's like a perfect description of what it's like <laughs> to be like 21 years old. And right like now? A predominantly yeah. white institution in America. Um. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yes. <laughs> anyway. Um, yes, let's speed through. Hestia like magics them back home because that's her whole thing home to go see sally which is incidentally where they have to go you know sally we get this like domestic little how dare (laughs) you write this can i say it are we gonna cut it no say it just do it the phrase in the notes is getting that pipe and writing that novel queen shit and i stand by it good for her sally is like literally at this point like her life is good she's like basically like self-actualized living the dream that she had when she was stuck with smelly gay with the beginning but Mm -hmm. now they're like going up to her and basically asking her like to risk Percy's life doing something that's arguably more dangerous than he's ever done with her explicit permission, knowing that she could stop him if she wanted to bless the process where Percy literally ends this conversation by saying, quote, me against Kronos and only one of us will survive. Like that's his pitch to her for saying yeah. like, you need to let me like risk my life because like, that's the good version of the scenario. Like I don't die doing this risky thing you're letting me do. I will die because Kronos will kill me. Something that yeah. I have really loved about like reading these like first eight chapters is my editor has always told me that if your scene isn't at least doing two things, you have to cut it. Mm. And <laughs> I'm, I'm always like, so like, uh, interested in like how much how many things Rick is accomplishing within every scene yeah like I was really really like jazzed about how within this scene especially how much Sally uh, her relationship is developed and how much it shows like you know the new stepdad is so much better than the old yes. stepdad mm-hmm. that's such interesting things that they like slip into this like very like I feel it could be a much quicker like plot scene yes. yeah Sally yields which is interesting as a mother yielding her, I guess, like her control over her kid, her ability to protect him, especially as he's getting older. Mm -hmm. I kind of love the idea that maybe there were parents who were reading these books with their kids and kind of enjoying Mm -hmm. the parental line because Rick was a young dad when he was writing the first series, which is kind of sweet. And with that, uh, with the blessing in hand, we are off to the underworld. The last time we went to the underworld, it was in the entrance was Los Angeles, but apparently there is a second one. It is the door of Orpheus. Carter wrote in our notes, wait for me. I'm coming. Um, shout out to this <laughs> town. We need music to open this door and like they just kind of have to wait around and and like find someone to play music to open the door, which to me seems so ridiculous. But Percy was like, oh, Grover, Grover has skills. Let's call Grover. Because Percy also is like, yeah, empathy link. I bet he's like nearby, even though he's been missing for two months. Where's he been? He's been here. He's been asleep in Central Park for like two months. It's not his fault. Morpheus, um, who is the god of dreams, oh, so freaking cool, is on the Titan army and and put him to sleep. So it's not his fault, but still, he opens up the door to the underworld and Percy, Nico, and Mrs. O'Leary begin the long, long, long descent down a very scary staircase, which feels very claustrophobic to me, into (laughs) the underworld. Uh, When we get here, the vibe is tense. We kind of, you know, we walk past the gates, we walk past Cerberus, but Nico is like, we have to go to the palace first. Hmm, that's not great. Percy doesn't like that. We don't like Hades. (laughs) We get interrupted by Electo, who we we remember as Mrs. Dodds, calling back, you know, the lightning (laughs) thief, which is crazy. We've come so far. Turns out Hades wants to talk. So we're in Hades' palace with... I think we've mentioned before the absolutely shorted, shafted, I want to say, Persephone and Demeter, who do not yes. get the character development that they deserve at all. It's so sad. Um, Demeter, it's, it's, it's a real it's a real throwaway bit that they do here. Her entire personality is like grain and like I'm like a disappointed mother-in-law. And yeah. that's literally it. She's also a child of Kronos. She should be like, like we get all the stuff about Hera and like Hestia even. It's not even just sexism. It's literally just like Demeter. You could have married the god of doctors or the god of lawyers, but no, here we are in the underworld. (laughs) This is the weird thing about, like, consuming, like, kids' media in the sense where it's, like, every once in a while they have to throw in, like, jokes and stuff. (laughs) And, like, like, that's the thing is, like, Kung Fu Panda is my favorite movie, and every once in a while they're doing, like, jokes for kids, and I'm like, no, oh, oh, yeah. Like, I'm like, it is for kids. You're like, that's not funny, oh. I'm an yeah. adult. <laughs> yeah. Like even I'm thinking about when uh, Grover's like enchiladas. I was like, yes, ho- I'm like hilarious. Yes. So basically Nico got uh, tricked. Percy got tricked. Hades, which is so rude because he's his dad, promised him information about his family because Nico is literally orphaned at this point. If Nico brought mm-hmm. Percy to the palace under the promise that Hades wouldn't harm Percy, obviously that's not going to happen. Yes. Hades 
kind of gives this quick backstory about his family. He hid them in the Lotus Hotel during World War II to protect them, hold them out because he was like, well, now that there's an opportunity to make Bianca the hero, clearly a favorite child weird dynamic here he's so mean to nico gosh yes. he takes this weird stance on the war where he you know he doesn't feel aligned with the olympians so why is he gonna fight with them he was like i will defeat Kronos all by myself this is a delusion of grandeur from hades Literally, i don't know what's so going dumb. on with he him he's irritating <laughs> he basically throws percy in jail percy falls asleep has another dream about rachel dreams about typhon whatever Not whatever um and then nico nico like shadow trap like pushes through a wall puts literally everyone in the palace asleep to sleep and breaks Percy out of jail. This is the scene where Percy, as he's like waking up from his sleep, like rolls over and like pins Nico down. Which... Uh, undeniably sexy. I, let's, I, let's just sit with that. Let's pause for that. This is the moment that Nico probably thinks about often. We're, Nico was probably like, oh, <laughs> yep, for sure. You know, that was his probably like, oh, yep, definitely. Moment. This is the moment he knew. He's literally risking his life to save this boy who is only tangentially interested in him. They're, they're off. They're racing. They go to the sticks so that Percy can get this done, which I don't think we've ever actually explicitly stated what the goal of all of this is. But in case you were not noticing all this time, the goal is for Percy to bathe in the river sticks. Like Achilles did and like Luke, we also have learned, did in order to become hot. invulnerable except for the so one. hot point very in sexy body. all of them yes all three of them literally yes very much so intense stuff but before he does so who shows up but achilles the ghost of achilles i guess we're in the underworld so they can just do that yep. <laughs> they just Ghosts pop in just, and say hi they're around um, he, gets, he gets a real quick in and out he's like don't do it percy's like i'm gonna do it and he's like ah well <laughs> burnt out okay. quick literally yes <laughs> he's like I, I i don't have time for this i my boyfriend's here now <laughs> he kind of mentions the fact that like you have to have an earthly tether that's the big mm-hmm. thing like when you go into the sticks you have to be keep in mind of like what makes you human what yes. it is about your life and he's like for me it was my mom and i was like Okay, <laughs> that's gay. Um, <laughs> he kind of poofs out. Also, quick note that they sounded the alarms and, and there's like the stakes are high. There's ghosts chasing them. So this is really intense. Nico's like, okay, it's freaking time. Like you got to do this. Percy jumps in. Let's just read this. This is page 136 for people reading along at home. I was losing the fight. The pain was too much. My hands and feet were melting into the water. My soul was being ripped from my body. I couldn't remember who I was. The pain of Cronus's scythe had been nothing compared to this. The cord, a familiar voice said, remember your lifeline, dummy. Suddenly there was a tug in my lower back. The current pulled at me, but it wasn't carrying me anymore. I imagined the string in my back keeping me tied to the shore. Hold on, seaweed brain. It was Annabeth's voice, much clearer now. You're not getting away from me that easily. The cord strengthened. I could see Annabeth now, standing barefoot above me on the canoe lake pier. I'd fallen out of my canoe. That that was it. She was reaching out her hand to haul me up, and she was trying not to laugh. She wore her orange camp t-shirt and her jeans. Her hair was tucked up in her Yankees cap, which was strange because that should have made her invisible. You're such an idiot sometimes, she smiled. Come on, take my hand. Memories came flooding back to me, sharper and more colorful. I stopped dissolving. My name was Percy Jackson. I reached up and took Annabeth's hand. Ah! Percy is my breathe. favorite sub. <laughs> Literally, yes. Period. My name was Percy Jackson. I reached up and took Annabeth's hand. Oh what? My. This is so much. This is so much and for him to be acting the way he does while thinking all of this and having this relationship to her. Both boggles the mind and at the same time does not because, you know, it's... We've all met people before. Um... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, he emerges onto the shore. Hot AF. Yes. Powered up. Invulnerable. This is like, <laughs> all I see is Kyle when he was cured of Lyme disease. Exactly. <laughs> That's exactly what I was thinking. Erica was there when I got cured of Lyme disease. I, I walked around like a god. For Hashtag a immortality makes Percy hot. This is the moment that honestly made me want to do this podcast. I'm not going to lie. When I was reading these over quarantine, I was like, oh my god. no, just, just for this, we must... I must dedicate my life to this now. Percy takes down Hades' entire army that's after him by himself, like, without even thinking about it. Literally has his foot on Hades' chest. What? Very... That's a god! That's one of the most powerful gods! Hades is also like, this makes sense now. Very dumb. <laughs> In a epic detail, I just Percy rips the cloak <laughs> off of Hades and sets the souls that were trapped in his cloak free. That's badass. Powerful stuff. Percy's like, you need to stay in the underworld, Nico, and take care of your dad. Which, which is, is so 
gross and sad, frankly. Um, I cannot get over the, the literal evilness of that moment. Like, 12-year-old, no, we're not friends anymore. Like, fend for yourself against your evil, evil family. Bye. And he goes like, well, where are you going, Percy? And he goes, to get this war started. And with that, that's where we're going to leave off. It's wartime. <laughs> we're going to, we're going to, we're going to get, we're going to get started. Yeah. That was a lot. That was a lot. Goddamn. So much happened. Yeah. Percy powered yeah. up. Percybeth literally confirmed by like the forces of nature of the river sticks. If the kiss wow. wasn't enough for you, she is his earthly literally tether. unavoidable. Earthly tether status. <laughs> yeah, your Facebook official and then your earthly tethers. <laughs> According to the river sticks. Percy and the river sticks was another one of those ship names that we found. Um, <laughs> Period, honestly. <laughs> I, I can see it. Mean? Well, I guess it's time to say, Kyle, we need a bit of a, a check-in with you and as far as do you believe Percibeth is the greatest love story ever told? Yeah, so I mean, despite my feelings, my personal feelings about Calypso and Rachel Elizabeth there, Hate you. Uh, <laughs> still 100% behind Percibeth as uh, <laughs> as the dominant love story within this, this series. Beautiful. We love that. Ha- have it hear it. Um, we haven't really been asking people about Western civilization anymore. It feels no. Fuck it. Honestly, <laughs> fuck it. Western civilization, we tried it and it just it didn't work out. And that's fine. Is there anything else you, you would know, like to add? Good Kyle? try. Thank you for having me. This was excellent. Thank you, Kyle. Thank you for coming back. Um, we wish you the best in your illustrious career yes. of internet fame. Do you want to like Thank plug your you. books again one more time? If you don't oh, get yeah. us more followers, I know. I'll do my best. I'll do my best. Here we go. Uh, Please read the Feud trilogy. Uh, You can get it wherever books are sold. It's on Amazon. The Feud trilogy: the sparks, the flames, the ashes. Uh, Follow my TikTok at Kyle (laughs) Prue. There it is. Very good. That's where my real bread and butter is these days. (laughs) (laughs) Next week. Weird. We're doing the meat. We'll see how far we get. Will we drag this on into an eternity? It's possible. There's still time. All right. See you guys later. Bye, everyone. Peace.